The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark 14, verses 53 through 72. The word of God speaks to us like this. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the very word of God to us. Good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Bryce Johnson. I am one of the leaders here. I'm a pastoral resident Um, If you don't know what that means, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to tell you a little bit more. Um, If you have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. Um, And uh, if if you're here and you don't have a copy of scriptures, please come find us. We'd love to put one in your hands. Um, One of the distinctives here at Frontline Church is we are Bible honoring. Um, And uh, and so as we preach, as we teach, as we sing, we want to sit under the authority of scripture. Um, And we want to do work with what scripture uh, has for us this morning. And this morning, we're going to look at two stories, uh, two stories that Stacy just read. It's a story of Jesus standing in front of the religious leaders of the day, standing on trial, and it's a story of Peter who denies Jesus three times. There's two events that the way Mark intertwines these stories, they're actually happening at the same time. They're happening, happening simultaneously, and they're stark contrasts of each other in so many different ways. 
And I think the reason why Mark includes it in this manner, and includes it right here, is to show us something incredibly important, to show the early church something incredibly important. We'll get to that in a second. But also to show us something super important. Now, what's important to remember is Mark, the author of this gospel, wrote this book after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. After Jesus rises up from the grave, he shows himself to his disciples, ascends into heaven, sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit births this thing called the church that explodes in growth and it spreads rapidly. And one of the key figures and leaders and pillars of this early church was this man, the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter. In fact, he's so important that we've got two books in our New Testament, in our Bibles, are written by Peter. He's incredibly influential. He's incredibly important. And to this early church that Mark writes this book for, his letter, uh, the Gospel of Mark, he tells the story not only of how Jesus endured under pressure, but he tells them of how one of their greatest leaders abandoned and rejected Jesus in the moment of Jesus' greatest need. It's a sort of story that you would expect to be squashed by the leader of an early movement, right? Of like, hey, hey, Mark, maybe let's, let's leave this one out, right? Also, the one where Jesus calls me Satan, let's leave that one out too, right? Where, where I say Jesus is the Christ, good one. Keep that in there. That, that'll uh, make moves. It's also the sort of story that you would expect would disqualify someone from, become, from holding an office in the early church. And yet, despite this embarrassing, almost treasonous act of Peter, he's one of the most influential figures in the early church. And Mark provides us a glimpse of the gospel of grace in this passage this morning. And it's important because this passage actually addresses an important question. And it's the question of how do we recover from failure? How do we recover from failure? And it's an important question because the world or society or culture already has an answer for us. In fact, it's got two answers. It's either you don't, right? You get canceled or you're done for the rest of your life because of your failure. Or it's summed up by the great Aaliyah song from 2000. If at first you don't succeed... You can dust it off and try again. Dust yourself off and try again. Try again. See, the answer that the world has for you is either you can't recover or try harder. And the gospel actually has another answer for us. And the answer for our failure is Jesus. And that's what we're going to see this morning in these two stories. We're going to see that there's hope for our failure. There's hope for our failure. And we're going to see that we're faithless failures just like Peter. And we're going to see that we need a faithful Savior just like Jesus. And so we're going to look at the two stories this morning. We're actually going to reverse order. We're going to look at Peter first, and then we're going to look at Jesus. And before we jump in and look at Peter, let me go ahead and address the temptation that we're going to feel. We're going to look at the story of Peter and just shake our heads and be like, Peter, what an idiot. How could you deny Jesus? How could you deny your Lord and Savior after all that he's done, after all you've seen in his greatest need? How could you abandon him? And the temptation is also going to be to say, I could never do that, or I would never do that if I was in Peter's shoes. 
And I think if that's our posture, what we're going to do is we're going to miss the crucial application for the story. And the crucial application is that we are just like Peter. We are just as faithless as Peter. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. We're going to read, we're starting verse 54, and then we're going to jump to verse 66. The word of God says, And Peter had followed him, being Jesus, at a distance, right into the courtyard of the priest. And he was sitting with the guards, and he was warming himself at the fire. Verse 66, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. Now Jesus has just been arrested. Uh, we, we covered that passage last week. He's been arrested. He's been led away. And Peter follows at a distance because he wants to see what's going to happen to Jesus. Now Peter loved Jesus. Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. He'd, he'd seen the miracles. He'd heard the teachings. Peter had done wonderful things himself. And Peter had also been rebuked by Jesus. And Peter loved Jesus dearly. And in fact, earlier that very night, Peter had said, hey, Jesus, even if everyone else abandons you, not me, I won't. This was the disciple that loved Jesus dearly. And yet he's here in the courtyard right outside where Jesus is being tried. And Peter denies Jesus three times. I think what Mark is showing us by this description, is how relatively and incredibly ordinary this scene is, the scene with Peter. See, Peter is not in the courtroom. Jesus is in the courtroom. Peter's in the courtyard right outside. Peter's just warming himself by the fire. He's trying to stay warm. He's just sitting with some guys. The servant girl who, who really just observes, hey, you were with, you were with Jesus. She's not a threat to him. She, she couldn't do anything to Peter. The other, by, uh, the other folks in the scene are just called bystanders. They're just merely normal people like him. When, when I was young, I remember being at this conference or, or this retreat, and there was a, a preacher who really tried to impress upon us the need to be faithful to Jesus. And, and, and the example that he used was, what if someone holds a gun to your head and asks you, deny Jesus or I'll pull this trigger? What are you going to say? Are you going to deny Jesus or will you take the bullet? And I remember being 11 years old thinking, this is really weird <laughs> because we're in a suburb of Dallas and I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> Should I be worried? <laughs> like, is something changing? Or we could also change this into some sort of caricature, right, of like, will you, will you stand up for Jesus in front of your college professor when he denies Jesus, right? We're, we're, we, we're going to, like the movie God's Not Dead, right, it's a terrible movie, but it try to make this, makes this point of like, hey, you, you better stand up for Jesus. If God's Not Dead is your favorite movie, I am so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Come find me after service. I would love to introduce you to Netflix. <laughs> Peter's story is our story because it shows us a picture of how we fail and deny Jesus. See, Mark is painting 
for us a picture of how unremarkable the scene is. And what he's showing us is that the places that we're most prone to deny Jesus are in the everyday, ordinary moments of life. It's in the everyday moments when we're in our homes with our families, when we're around the water cooler, when we're at our hobbies and just in the everyday rhythms of life that we're so tempted to deny Jesus. And maybe you hear that and you think, yeah, but not me. I'm not embarrassed about Jesus. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. In fact, everyone knows how much I love Jesus. I've got the little decal on my car. My coworkers only hear Christian music coming from my cubicle. Like, and we have a short-sighted view of what it actually means to deny Jesus. And so, so here, look with me in the passage. Look at the actual accusations made against Peter. Verse 67 says, And seeing Peter warming himself, she, being the servant girl, looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. In case it's been a little while since you've taken an English class, there are a lot of be verbs there. The accusations made against him are on his identity, not do you know Jesus, can you, can you uh, defend uh, who he is or defend his validity. Each time Peter denies, he's not merely denying that he knows Jesus, he's denying his very identity as a follower of Jesus. It's a denial of who he is, it's a denial of who he has been with. See, Peter had been transformed by Jesus. He had boldly proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah. He had boldly called himself a disciple of Jesus. And yet, while he's surrounded by a bunch of people who almost certainly are not fans of Jesus, Peter just wants to be anonymous in the courtyard. He just wants to be another person around the fire. And in this moment, he actually has to decide whether he will own his identity and whether he'll actually live out who he is as a follower of Jesus or not. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, what the scripture tells us is that you actually have a new identity, and it's an identity that's marked by Jesus. It's an identity that's defined by this thing called the kingdom of God. It's what we've been unpacking in the gospel of Mark. Jesus arrives and he says, hey, I have a kingdom, and I want to invite you into my kingdom, but this kingdom has a certain way that it operates. There's a certain ethic of this kingdom there's a certain way that our folks live, and it's a kingdom that's marked by Jesus. And we deny Jesus when we don't live in the reality of who we are as Christians. See, we can deny Jesus by our words. That's pretty obvious. But we can also deny Jesus by how we live or how we don't live. In fact, that right there is what sin is, isn't it? It's when we deny Jesus and his way and his kingdom and we live for self. We deny who we are, listen, as a people who have been radically saved and radically changed 
and radically transformed and radically called into a new kingdom. Friends, when's the last time you've seen some radical change in your life? Some of us are denying Jesus by ignoring his teaching on peacemaking and, and, and we deny it by engaging in petty quarrels and insulting people made in the image of God. And we reject our identity as children of God who are called to act like our Father. Some of us are denying Jesus by ignoring his clear teaching on forgiveness and love And we choose not to forgive those who have wronged us. And we reject our identity as agents of reconciliation. Some of us are denying Jesus and our identity by not actually denying ourselves. Friends, do we actually deny ourselves to follow Jesus? Or do we just sprinkle enough Jesus in our lives to make us feel good? We reject our identity as those who deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Some of us are denying Jesus by living like we actually don't need other people. We actually deny Jesus by that. All the community you need is under your roof and and in an attempt to protect yourself and shield yourself from the messiness that comes with life, with being known, you reject your identity as someone who's been saved into the family of God. Hear me. Some of us are denying Jesus and his grace by not confessing sin and by not turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. And we live lives like our, we live like our lives are perfect. And we live in a way that actually denies that we need grace. Friends, we are not that different from Peter. Jesus says that his people will actually look different from the world, meaning that our lives must necessarily be countercultural. Not just countercultural to that big city out there, not just countercultural to Oklahoma City, not just countercultural to where we are right now. And we deny Jesus when we deny his way of living. And Peter denies Jesus. And realizing what he's done, he's filled with shame and regret. Look at verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. See, Peter had just done what he swore he would never do. Earlier in the chapter, he swore, Jesus, even if I have to die... I will never deny you. Peter could never imagine that he would do this, and yet in just a few hours, he had crossed this line. And there's a sober warning here for all of us to never be so sure of ourselves that there's some sin, some evil, some temptation that we would never give into. To Peter's pride in his own devotion, in his own ability to follow Jesus, blinded him to the reality that he was a man who was weak in need of grace and was revealed in this moment. This man who buckled under fear and anxiety and led to sorrow and grief because sin always leads to sorrow and grief. And I wonder how many of us in this room 
are sitting here and we're walking through the bitterness of sin and shame right now. And you feel the weight of your brokenness. Maybe you have crossed that line that you never thought you were capable of crossing. That, that thing you never thought that you'd do. Maybe you've failed your spouse or your family or you're stuck in this cycle of sin like a, like a hamster wheel you just never thought you'd get into. And maybe it's the weight of something that only you and the Lord knows. Sin always leads to shame and guilt. And Peter's story is our story because it shows us the trajectory of our sin and where sin leads us, leaves us. But the story is not the end of the story of, for Peter, and it doesn't have to be the end of the story for us. Because at the exact same time where that Peter is being faithless, and Peter is rejecting his Savior and rejecting his God, Jesus is being faithful and working towards healing his brokenness. See, Jesus is the faithful Savior. Jesus is the faithful witness. Jesus is a stark contrast to Peter. Instead of a, a servant girl, Jesus stands in front of the religious leaders of his day. The other gospel writers call it, uh, identify this group as the Sanhedrin. And so the Sanhedrin was, imagine, the supreme court of the day. Jesus is standing in front of the supreme court, having to give an account. And it consisted of people who had already made up their minds about Jesus. Look how the text describes it in verse 55. The chief priests in this whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. So they were already looking for a reason. They couldn't find one. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Now this whole process is illegal. They, they arrested him in the middle of the night, which was illegal under Jewish law. They're having a trial uh, in the middle of the night, which is illegal under Jewish law. They're desperately trying to find something to pin on him. And, and uh, the one part that they can't get away with is that Jewish law requires that two witnesses have to fully agree on an accusation in order for it to stick. And they can't find two people to agree on their accusations. And while Peter is accused of something true, Jesus is accused of false things. And it's late at night, and Jesus has been abandoned by his closest friends, and he's being mocked, and he's being ridiculed, and he's being lied about. And in the face of all of this, Jesus remains silent. And I think we can hear that, and we can be like, yep, that's Jesus. And we lose sight of the fact that Jesus the humanity of Jesus. Jesus doesn't defend himself. He doesn't try to justify himself. He doesn't correct them. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't belittle them. Those that are lying against, that are lying about him, Jesus just doesn't respond. Listen, I, I miss a meal by a few hours and I get testy, right? Imagine how you or I might respond in that moment. Friends, how do we respond 
when people say false things about us, when we're mocked, when we're lied about, when injustice is done upon us, I mean, how do we respond when someone cuts us off on the road? We're so quick to self-justify or correct or rebuke or go to social media because we're th we think we're doing it in truth and love. And yet here is truth and love personified. Jesus. And the way he responds is the way that I don't know if any of us would respond. There's so much that could be said there, and I think it's a sermon for another day. Friends, what we see in Jesus is what the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the Savior who was coming. Isaiah says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Listen to this imagery. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter. Jesus is led by the systems of his day to the cross where he would be tortured and crucified and he doesn't cry out. He doesn't curse them. He doesn't say, just wait. Jesus responds how Peter ought to have responded, how we're supposed to respond. And in this, the innocent man is condemned. But, but it's more than just an innocent man or the wrong man on death row. No, in his silence and in his death, Isaiah tells us that he was crushed for our sin. He was crushed for our failings, for our denial. Peter lied to the servant girl and all the bystanders. Peter rejected God in that moment, and it's Jesus who gets the consequence. And what Mark show, is showing us is the gospel story that's true for all of us. Jesus suffers and dies in the place of the guilty. Pastor Tim Keller is a pastor in New York, and he, he says it this way. He says, Peter gets off who deserved to be condemned because Jesus Christ was condemned in his place who deserved to get off. Jesus is not just suffering unjustly, though he is. He's suffering substitutionally. It's not just Peter goes free and Jesus gets condemned. Isn't that awful? Listen, Peter goes free because... Jesus is condemned. And this right there, right here, is the heart of the Christian message. Jesus died for your sins. He died in your place so that you, however guilty you may be, however guilty I may be, may go free. There's an old hymn that, that says it so well, in my place condemned he stood. And so regardless of what you think about Jesus, I think all of us understand that there are things wrong with us. Like we just, we just, even if you have the most positive view of humanity, you just have to look at the news or look outside or look at things going on to recognize things are not the way they ought to be or the way they could be. There's an English author, he's a professor, um, Francis Spufford, and, and he called it what we would call sin. He called it the human propensity to mess things up. 
he doesn't use the word mess. He uses a way more colorful, language, colorful word. The human propensity to mess things up. And we do, don't we? We have such a propensity to mess things up. And when you don't, then you're filled with self-righteousness and pride and you further mess things up. If at first you don't succeed, try again. Has not worked for the history of the world, has it? In fact, how has that worked for the history of your life? How good have you been at doing that? Listen, the gospel story is not just some divine magic trick where your bad things mysteriously disappear, presto, shazam. Jesus actually bore the weight of your bad things. And he bore the weight of the consequences of what you've done and what I've done. Later in life, Peter is writing a letter to encourage the church. He writes this in 1 Peter 3. Listen to old man Peter write. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. And I imagine Peter, as he's writing these words, he's thinking back on this night. He's thinking back on the night where he was certainly unrighteous, and the righteous was dying for Peter the unrighteous. He's playing out in his head, and here's what Peter knows, that Jesus did it so that the unrighteous, so that you and I could be brought to God. Jesus, the silent lamb, suffers so that we might be made right with God. And even though we don't live in our identity, our identity is no longer our failure. Our identity is what Christ has done. Friends, whatever your sin, whatever you've done that you thought you'd never do, whatever failure you've committed, even if you don't know it and don't feel it and don't recognize it like you ought to, Jesus has died for it so that you don't have to. And so Jesus is the suffering lamb, but he's also the resurrected king. Notice how Jesus responds when he's asked directly if he's the Messiah. Verse 61, but he, being Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. This is actually the first time in all of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus has actually affirmed that he is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. (laughs) When the stakes are the highest, he affirms it. While Peter rejects his identity, Jesus actually embraces his identity. He says, yes, I am the Christ. And then he says, and you're going to see me again. And when I return in my resurrection, I'm returning fully as king. So this is why when Jesus goes up into heaven, you have the great commission. And Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore, go and make disciples. So Jesus has authority over everything. He's got authority over nations and worlds and galaxies. And he's got authority over individuals and over circumstances. 
Friends, Jesus is a resurrected king right now, meaning that not only are all our sins forgiven, but listen, the one that assures you of that is actually king over the whole world. It's not, it's, it's not just a book that tells you that. It's not just a preacher who stands on a stage who tells you that. It's actually the king of the universe. And he grants grace to failures not because of who we are, but because of who he is. See, the cure for our sin is not to buckle up and try harder to stop sinning. It's the grace that comes to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I think some of us in this room hear that and say, yes and amen, Jesus died for my sins and Jesus has forgiven me. And then turn around and say, but I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself for what I've done. And it sounds really humble. But can I offer that in that you actually deny Jesus? You deny Jesus because you deny that his blood and his authority actually speaks a better word than any other condemnation, whether they be others or yourself. You say that there's actually a higher authority than Jesus. Here's the thing. You don't have to forgive yourself because Jesus has already done it. So there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, rest in the truth of the gospel. Peter received this this grace after he denied Jesus. Mark doesn't share it, but, but John, in his gospel, tells us that Peter was out fishing. After Jesus had been crucified, after the resurrection, Peter's out fishing. And Jesus shows up to see Peter. And Peter sees him on the shore grabs his cloak, jumps into the water, swims to shore. And how do you think Jesus meets Peter? Jesus cooks breakfast for him. Isn't it amazing? Jesus cooks breakfast for failures. The first time Peter sees Jesus after he has denied him, not once, not twice, three times, Jesus makes him a meal. That's how Jesus greets us, by the way. Jesus doesn't greet us with condemnation or anger. He greets us with love. And Jesus restores Peter, just as Peter had denied Jesus three times. Three times, Jesus comes to Peter and says, hey, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Not only does he restore Peter, he says, hey, He commissions him. He says, hey, I want you to lead my people. This man who just literally days before had whiffed so badly, the resurrected king authorizes him. He says, hey, you're the guy I want to lead my people. It's the grace that meets us in our brokenness. And it's the only hope for our failure. And it's how Jesus meets us right now. By the way, do, do, you, do you know how else we know that this grace was effective? I was thinking about it this week. It's the fact that we have this story at all. M- most, most scholars agree that Mark was written by a close follower of Peter who heard firsthand accounts of Peter's story and, has, and gave us Mark. 
but not only Mark, all four of the gospel writers include this story in, in their account of Jesus' life. There's not a lot that's in all four gospels. You have one parable, you have the death and resurrection of Jesus, and you have this story of Peter, the most prominent disciple, failing Jesus. And I remember, and I thought, there's no one else here at the scene who could accuse Peter and say, hey, hey, guys, I don't know if you know this, but, but Peter did this. The only way the story makes its way into our Bibles is the fact that Peter told. Peter told them. Now, what makes someone recount and share probably the most incredibly embarrassing thing that they've done? Like, hey, we've followed Jesus. He's resurrected. It could have been so easy for him to just ignore this. No one else would know. We wouldn't know until the new heavens and new earth. What makes someone confess their failures to their closest friends, and not just to their closest friends, to people they don't know, but the grace of God that meets them in their brokenness and their failure and frees them to say, hey, this doesn't define me. I can boldly confess and lay out my failures because the resurrected king has spoken a better word over me. Friends, there is no try harder. Christ has already done it. And our response is merely to receive it. And when we receive this grace, it actually changes everything. We see this in the book of Acts. This same Peter, in just a few weeks, he's standing in front of hostile crowds. And he's not ashamed. He's boldly proclaiming. He stands in front of the same group of people, the Sanhedrin. And he boldly proclaims Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. And the same Peter, church history tells us, went on to be crucified upside down. See, Peter could boldly live in his identity because he knew that Jesus was on the throne, and that's the hope for all of us. Friends, wherever you are this morning, whether you're neck deep in sin and you know it, or you're neck deep and you don't even recognize it yet, whether you denied Jesus last night with what you did, or you deny Jesus by the way you talk to your spouse on the way to church this morning. There is grace for you in Christ. Listen, if Jesus could love Peter and restore him, then surely he can do the same for us. Let's pray.